You're listening to Programme 2 of the Norvision Podcast, recorded to leave an oral history legacy of the journey of the Norvision Project. KCLR. Over the course of the last 18 months, the Norvision Project has been running training workshops that are aimed at encouraging the community living in the Nor catchment area to engage with the river. One of the very successful elements of this engagement strategy has been the Citizen Science Project, facilitated by Amanda Greer of Envirical. I join her by the river to find out what Citizen Science on the Nor is all about. So what is happening is there is a national um, citizen science scheme being rolled out at the moment. And what this citizen science scheme is about is checking the water quality in your local area. It's a really simple scheme. What, what we're actually going to do is to look at the animals that you find in the, in the rocky bottom of the river. And those animals, some of them are called indicator species. And what that means is that they only live in certain types of water. So in, our, in this case, they only live in either quite polluted systems or quite clean systems. So by looking at the animals that we find in our kick sample, we're going to be able to tell how, um, how good middling or poor the water quality actually is. Water quality monitoring in Ireland comes under the remit of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the results of their recent report on the status of the River Nore is not good. Hugh Feely is Scientific Officer in the Ecological Monitoring and Assessment Unit of the EPA. Based on our latest work, um, which would be Water Quality in Ireland report from 2013-18, the Nore catchment has about 52% of its water bodies not making good status, which would mean that they would be in unsatisfactory ecological condition. Now, this would be just below the national average, which would be 53%. And if we look at the north specifically and its tributaries, the main problems, I guess, in the catchment are related to agricultural practices and the loss of nitrogen and phosphorus fertilizers to the river. Um, And these would account for most of the water quality issues that we come across. Um, Now, urban and domestic wastewater and industry would also play a a role. And there would be some other small issues, you know, on local level. But uh, agriculture would be the main driver at the moment. To have such poor quality water in the rivers is not good on so many levels. We rely on fresh water for so much, you know, uh, not only for a source of clean water, but it provides a huge amount of ecosystem services as well. And, and like we need these animals that are living in the water, these tiny bugs, like they form the basis of an entire food web. So they're eaten by, by larger animals or bir- like dippers, you know, birds that they, they would feed um, insectivores and the fish feed on them as well. And then we have kingfishers and otters that need to eat the the fish so like the whole biodiversity of the river depends on us keeping keeping it clean um we have other species as well that are seriously threatened by all of the the sediment all of the mud that we unfortunately end up ends up in our rivers and coats the bottom so salmon can't spawn if that's the case they need gravelly beds to to lay their eggs and also we have um, an, yeah, an incredibly long-lived and unique species called the freshwater pearl mussel that lives in the River Noor. Um, and it, it also needs clean uh, beds to survive. And, and, and they're really, really threatened at the moment. So, but for me, it's hugely important. I mean, it's not just the quality of the water that we drink, but the quality of the life that we have. I have a, I have a young son. I want to be able to bring him down for this river walk, you know. Um, 
and look out of the river and see life teeming there, you know, not, not um, a polluted stream. Monitoring the water quality as a citizen scientist requires a bit of equipment, a tray and a net being an important part of the kit. So we have a we have a kick net here. So this is a professional kick net. Um, but if you did want to get out and do something with the kids over the summer, what you would need to do is just get um, get a net and flatten the bottom of it because you need it to actually sit flat on the on the bottom of the the riverbed. And then what you what we'll do is we'll kick the stones just in front of the net and let the water flow straight back into the net. Okay. And that'll bring all the animals that we've kicked up straight into the net. So make sure you put your net in the right direction. And is it, is it important then to get stones as well? Is that Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. You need to kick um you need to kick and lift up the stones and if there are any nice big stones or anything, make sure you get a toe in behind that and, and move that aside as well. And we do that for thirty seconds and then you have a tray with a, a white bottom. And if you don't have a tray with a white bottom, you can just put a piece of card or something similar into it just to make it. The reason for the white is just so that you can see the animals better. Okay. And so before we get started, we'll put a little bit of water, river water in this. And then we'll take our net once we've collected the sample and empty it into the tray. Okay. It's quite long, isn't it? That's... Net. The net, yeah, it is. Yeah. So it's good because you can um, you can kind of lean you can kind of lean on it if you need to then for um, for balance. Yeah. So the river, the water is very high at the moment, but we're in a good spot. In the summer or, or a bit later on in the year, this whole area is actually um, you can walk almost out to the middle of the river. You wouldn't believe it today, but do you want me to grab your mic while you do that? Do you need two hands? Yeah. So Amanda is just picking her space now, getting out into the middle. And the net is held at a 90 degree angle and she's kicking away there at the bottom of the river. As mentioned earlier, the EPA regularly monitor the water quality and they use a suite of tests, which also includes looking at the animals in the water. We would assess the river in, in numerous ways um, and we would have sites along a lot of the tributaries and of the main nor that we will visit regularly, usually on interannual or you know annual basis. Um, and we would take biological and chemical samples. So for the biology, we would look at the insects within the river, also the plants, um, and we would take chemical samples as well and assess the water chemistry of each station. However, the EPA don't test in the smaller streams. We just don't have the manpower and we don't have the the resources to do that. And, I, and sometimes you can actually get a lot of information by just visiting the main channel itself um, rather than doing all of the smaller ones. For Hugh and the team at the EPA, the citizen science element of the Norwegian project is very worthwhile. Well, first and foremost, it plays a huge role in enabling people to be more aware of the water quality in their catchments. But it also allows us to perhaps get information that we wouldn't already have. You know, it's kind of a boots on the ground type approach. Between us and the local county councils, we, there are only so many staff and so many days in the year you can you can spend out and about. So the more people we have on the ground, the more information we have and the more uh, information we have to address problems as we come across them. 
What Amanda and the other citizen scientists look for in the sample that they take up in their net is the presence or absence of three good animals and three bad animals. This particular scheme itself was the brainchild of um, Dr. Simon Harrison from UCC. So he was having a look at all of the animals that um, would typically indicate the water quality and thinking along the lines of, okay, which species would be very easy for people to identify? which species are definitely indicative of good or poor water quality and how can I make this scheme as simple as possible. So what he's done is come up with six species. So we have three good guys and three bad guys. <laughs> can hear the air quotes. <laughs> and, and those species will actually tell us if the species occurs in the sample and we add the scores together then we get an, an idea of whether the water quality is good, medium or poor. Okay, there's a few, I can see a few things. You can see a few around. things, yeah. So these are little water shrimps. Um, they're not really indicative of anything unless you find heaps and heaps of them, which isn't a great sign if there are lots and lots. So the good guys that we're looking for, what we would hope to find are um, flattened mayfly, stoneflies, and green caddisflies and I actually saw a green caddisfly just a minute ago there he is you see this fella here yeah he's not green though no he doesn't look particularly green at the moment but <laughs> they are normally they're quite green actually but you can tell by the way he's he's moving actually which is um a funny thing you'll get to know Oh, they all move in a different way. They all have their own dance. Oh, I can see he is more green no, now. when yeah. you see him up against the white, um, up against the white background, you can see that's him. So he's that's a good positive. sign. He's a positive sign. Yeah, absolutely. And why is he positive? It's just that he won't survive in very polluted water. He wouldn't be able to survive there. And the same with the other ones. The stoneflies in particular are a sign of good water quality. Um, and the flattened flattened mayflies, they, they just need, if the water is polluted, they won't be able to, to live in it. Okay. Um, and then there are other ones. The, the, the ones that we're not looking to see would be, um, just move this out so you can find anything else, um, would be snails. So there is a snail here. So snail. that's that's a minus one, whereas the green caddisfly was a plus one. Okay. okay? And so those lads, obviously, the, the, um, the snail, what, what, does he like polluted water? Yeah, the snails will quite happily live in polluted water. They'll do better in polluted water. Yeah. Now, this guy, this is a really interesting fellow. There's actually quite a few snails in there, but when we find a snail, we just, even if we find 10 of them, we just give it a minus one. So it's just okay. whether it's there or not. So this guy is actually really interesting. This is a cased caddisfly. So you can see here, if you look really closely at that Monica, it's basically grains of sand all put together in a perfectly formed case. Yeah. Can you see that? I can. There is actually a living animal in there. Wow. So a caddisfly. So he looks very similar. So he's made his own bed, so to speak, and wrapped himself up in a duvet. Yeah, that. exactly. And they have all different types of um, they have all different types of cases that they use for protection. Um, so some of them are really perfect, like this one, which is made out of sand and it's really well put together. Like, you know, you'd you'd, um, <laughs> you'd think that's a really good craftsman yeah. at work there. And then other ones would be like clumps of sticks just shoved together nearly. <laughs> They're a really messy kind of 
structure. That could be one there. Could that it? I'd say now that that. But yeah, you can see it's kind of stuck. Oh no, there is one in there. Look, oh, there. I thought he was gone, but he's there. Yes, yes. Do you see him moving? I can. I saw it <laughs> there. So the other um, poor quality indicator species, species I haven't mentioned or type I haven't mentioned at the moment are the worms. Mm. So um, I haven't seen any worms in here as yet, and I haven't seen any stoneflies or any mayflies. So. We're at a minus one. Oh, sorry, I, I, there's another one. I only told you two of the bad guys. <laughs> Just forgetting myself. So the third one is um, what's called water hoglouse. And it kind of looks like an underwater woodlouse. Okay. Yeah, so you'd know, you can see them. So I think we're at a zero here. I don't see anything else. So what does zero indicative. mean then, Amanda? It means middle of the road. So would they... Um, what we do with the Citizen Science Stream Index is you do three of these, okay? And at the end, you get a score that could be plus nine if you found all three good guys in all three samples, you'd get plus nine. And if you found all three bad guys in all three samples, you get a minus nine. Okay. So it runs from plus four to plus nine. That means the water quality is good. Okay. And then from minus three to plus three is uh, middle of the road so it's it's kind of a caution you know if you think of it as a traffic light you think uh, the green's good to go um the amber for caution and then the red for stop the pollution okay yeah yeah so this so is kind of a caution here it's a caution. it's a caution yeah which to be honest is in the la last summer we did some sampling here as well and we tended to find somewhere around the middle of the road uh, like middle to slightly better which yeah. was good um but somewhere around the middle of the road so like we we are suffering in with a water quality crisis in ireland at the moment and our the number of high quality sites that we have like very high quality is decreasing you know so we really do need people to get out there and check their small streams and to to keep an eye on them as well not just to go out and, and check them once but to go out and check them and then if they are lucky enough to have something green beside them to go out the following year and make sure it's still green you know Mary Brennan is one of those people going out and checking the water quality in her local streams she was trained by Amanda as part of the Norvision Citizen Science Project and I meet her by a small stream in the Liz Downey area now on the Norvision project, the scheme that I'm on is the small stream monitoring and so we're working in the smaller streams and I have two of them. I have the River Douglas which drains down from Mokalee. Uh, this is coming from the northeast okay. into the Dinan and here coming from the west of the Dinan I have the River Glosha. The name Glosha means a stony stream. Does it? And indeed, if you look at the substrate where I'll be sampling later, you'll see it's very stony. Water is so intrinsic to life, isn't it? It's so oh, important. It, it, it is. And the proportion of fresh water on the planet is very, very small. It's only about 1% uh, mm. in, in the rivers and lakes. Yes, it's that small. And that's the water we depend mainly on. Yeah, it, so it, that's why it's so important then to keep it clean. Yeah. And it's intimately linked with the groundwater because the base flow in the river comes from the groundwater. So we're concerned about what's put on the land. Mm. And it's these small streams that have the closest connection with the land. You know, about, oh, I'd say over 70% of the water from the countryside around is going into small streams first before it gets into the larger river. And we know very little about these. So it's great that citizen science 
can be part of looking at the NOR and the NOR Vision Project because it's encouraging people uh, with training to come out and do a little bit of sampling to assist with information. So how often would you come here now to the Glossia? Uh, I was aiming to do it about once a month but some months just the, the river, the rain flow, the rainfall is too heavy, the flow regimes are that. So this will be my fifth sampling. Okay. But having started in November, that's okay. That's good. Yeah. 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 How are you finding it then? The quality here at this site so far is in the moderate category. Mary's first sample from the river was very positive. Okay. So we've got the three good indicators. All three of those need very well aerated water. Fantastic. No baddies. No, no baddies well, it's that wrong I to see. Call them baddies, in, in, I yeah, guess, but, but the, the indicators of poor quality water would be the leech, the snail, and the water louse. Now, I have found all of those three here on previous sampling occasions, and they may well turn up in a sample yet. Mary worked as an environmental scientist for many years, and now that she's retired, she's enjoying working as a citizen scientist. She would encourage other people to become involved in it too. You need, in the end of the day, the citizens to look after the rivers and to care for it. Yeah, And we particularly want the farmers, because the farmers own most of the land around the rivers. We need the farmers to get involved, to maybe fence off the rivers, to keep their cattle out of it if possible. If they're spreading slurry, to keep it well back, to allow a buffer zone. Uh, if they're growing cereal, uh, to really reduce the amount of pesticide being used mm. because the pesticide kills everything mm. including the, all the aquatic invertebrates so there's a lot of work to be done we need everyone to cooperate what do you think is the answer to that mary because the government are putting pressure on the farmers as well you know to yeah. well well i more. i think that's wrong i think we should be moving back towards organic farming and that organic farming should be supported in our county development plan that chagas should be pushing more of organic farming and high nature value farming mm. i mean there's some but it's less than two percent of farmers are engaged in that and the eu now under the new green scheme are going to require i think it's up to 25 percent to be nature friendly or organic farming mm. by by 2030 I fear we won't make that mm. because there isn't enough pressure coming from here. And, and us as consumers, we'll have a role to play in that we should be looking really for organic food that's free from pesticides. And we should be looking about where our food is coming from, supporting local producers who are doing it in an environmentally friendly way. Uh, now, did you look at the water? Yes. Something's happening. It's turning brown. It is a bit brown, Th isn't That it? means that sediment is getting into it somewhere upstream that wasn't there when we came here mm, first mm. and so this is the sort of issue we want to avoid because mm. we, we, i don't know where it's coming from or how far upstream it's coming from but that's will settle down it clogs up the spaces between the stones and the gravel and then these clean indicator insects will not have enough oxygen and will not be able to breathe mm. and the same happens to fish eggs fish eggs need really clean well aerated gravels and stones Mm. So we're watching an incident happening. Yeah, it is. It's turning brown. All it's right. turning it is. brown. Yeah. 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 It's not as clear as it was. Yeah. As Amanda said earlier, when the health of one part of our ecosystem is damaged, then the impact is felt on other parts of the system too. Senan Gardner, another citizen scientist who lectures in sustainability, demonstrates this interconnectivity in the following way. I did a lot of environmental education earlier on and there's this game I would play with young people where 
I'd give them all these different species in an ecosystem as cards, and then I'd get a ball of wool and we'd circle around up and um, I'd pass the ball of wool to all each species as they found a relationship between the species. And eventually you'd have a big web of life, we'd call it. And, you know, then you'd sort of say, okay, now this pollution is going to cause this species to grow out of this habitat, you know, extinct from this habitat and pull on that. And then everyone who felt the pull, you know, would uh, then say so. And, you know, it's some, you know, it's, it's great. It's great to see that we still have in ways some intact ecosystems in our, mm. in the NOR catchment, but uh, unfortunately uh, um, the species are quite threatened. And if there's problems in the river, um, well, then there's problems with us as well, because obviously everything's connected. And um, so we are like, um, you know, through basically damaging the ecosystem in our river, we're also like damaging ourselves. And I would have would see that in the river. That's definitely in in some places there's um, very strong indicators that um, things are not well. Yeah, it's, it's a pity, but it's also there's a lot of opportunities for change. And so the best thing that we're doing right now is creating a baseline of seeing where there are issues and where, how can we fix those, you know. And what, what river were you monitoring, Senan? So I was monitoring in and around Kells, uh, mostly. I was helping James Keogh in around Dunamagan, Kells, um, looking at the glory. I was up around the Kings as well, going up even as far up to um, Ballingarry, they're just within my 5k and um checking the quality and uh it, what what um just pure observation what i noticed was that as you went higher up the river like through its smaller tributaries that the what we were finding was that the species we found there were um showing good health of the river higher up but then as you came down closer to Callan and Kells, uh, that the river, there was there was pollution coming in at some point um, showing, and that would be shown by the species that would be available there. Uh, you wouldn't get, you know, your caddisflies or your mayflies, but rather your, um, your, your leeches and water lice. For Senan, participating in citizen science projects like the water quality monitoring on the River Nore gives him something very tangible to do to help matters improve. Um, one of the things I, I, I find is that when you're teaching about um, environmental issues with any age group, there's a huge desire for the audience to find out what they can do to change things. It's like basically telling someone their house is on fire, <laughs> immediately people want to rush and get buckets. But uh, the problem is that with such complex issues, people often don't know what the ways and the strategies are to help. And that can be very frustrating. It can cause apathy. It can cause cynicism after a while if people keep on getting these messages and they feel they can't do anything about it. So um, doing something like this, creating the baseline that we need to get policymakers to change policy, to get people to see there is a huge problem, is uh, very satisfying. And it's something then that you, um, you can in your education, tell people, look, this is a way you can get involved. This is a way you can um, help change and transform our society towards a better one. Senan's previous observations about the health of the river deteriorating as it flows downstream is echoed by Hugh Feely's findings in the EPA. You know, rivers follow their path and, and you know, what problems at the top can multiply as you move down the, down the river and Often we'll see, you know, practices within the the river catchment, you know, um, might become problematic at the estuary, you know, for example, where stuff, you know, so there is that longitudinal uh, connectivity. And it's the, it's the only way we can really consider how to monitor and, and look after our rivers is in the catchment approach. So, you know, when you see projects like the Nor Vision, you know, rather than it's just the river Nor, it's the entire catchment. 
Um, and that's that's the that's the way forward. And taking this catchment approach across all the communities and counties that the Nor flows through has the benefit of involving so much more people. A single person on their own can achieve something, but a group of people working together, working with the local authorities, working with the national bodies, they can achieve more. And and I guess projects like Norvision enable people to come together as a community and as some sort of, you know, a kind of an organised group with a goal. And, you know, it allows them to, to work towards that goal, whatever that goal may be. You know, each 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 catchment in Ireland and each local group would have their own um, issues to address. Um, but there's commonality amongst all of them in terms of providing education and uh, highlighting the importance of, of their local waters to people living in the area. The data collected by the Norwegian citizen scientists highlights the importance of water quality in the Nor catchment and the results are currently being collated and processed, as ecologist Amanda Greer explains. So at the moment, all of this is being fed back directly to Simon Harrison because it's a brand new scheme. So it's being, at the, at the moment, the data is being collated by him and verified uh, by him. But we do have a National Biodiversity Data Centre, which is the repository for all citizen science data and for all species data. Like If you are walking along, you, there's an app that you could download onto your phone. Couldn't recommend it enough. The National Biodiversity Data Centre app. Um, and you can record literally every single species that you see on that app and tell them that that's there, you know. Um, so, yeah, th- that's an incredible, an incredible repository. And it will all be connected and fed back in there. This is really the pilot. It's being rolled out now over the country. So those um, those connections have to be finalised and built into into an easy an easy input system. One of the objectives that Simon Harrison has with this scheme is to help people to actually identify um, sources of pollution in their area. So if you go out and you collect a sample at one location and um, that sample is green and you go further downstream and you collect another sample and that sample is red, then something has happened in the meantime that is causing a decrease in the water quality. So by narrowing, you know, by coming a bit further up and checking and a bit further up and checking, you can actually see where that source of pollution is and identify that in your local area. And then you can, you know, try and get some action taken to reduce that or eliminate that source of pollution. And all this data affirms that there's only moderate water quality status in the River Nor. Failure to address this will have an impact. There's the legislative side, you know, just the responsibility side on part of the government in terms of just getting our waterways back to good status uh, by, I think it's 2027, um, and compliance with the Water Framework Directive. But putting aside the legislation on a more environmental and human impact level, the loss of biodiversity, you know, such as plants and animals that live in and along the river will, will, will continue or will, will get worse if, if river quality doesn't improve and gets worse again. Um, and this will happen throughout the catchment and there'll also be a, hu- a substantial risk to the safety and quality of people's drinking water. Um, and also, you know, there'll be a significant investment required in terms of treating, you know, water that's not, you know, not of good quality uh, to provide you know, safe drinking water to communities that live within the catchment. So there are some, you know, significant uh, challenges there and, and potential significant problems if, if, if water quality isn't um, addressed. But let's not end on a gloomy note. If a river or a lake or whatever is given a chance to recover and, and improve, 
the life comes back, the biodiversity comes back. Um, you know, it's our, the environment is resilient if given a chance. That's something positive that we should probably, you know, keep in mind moving forward. So if you'd like to play your part and become a guardian of the River Noor, then check out norvision.ie, where you will also find information about their upcoming conference taking place in two weeks' time. The Noor Vision Radio Series is funded by Kilkenny Leader Partnership CLG through the Department of Rural and Community Development and the EU.